Hello, this is John Patrick Mullen of Soma Finance, the world's first globally compliant multi-asset DEX issuance and lending platform. And I'm on the edge of NFT, the world's favorite NFT podcast. It's always keeping you up to the cutting edge of Web3. Stay tuned. Hey there, NFT curious listeners. Stay tuned for today's episode and find out how Soma Finance did the impossible and formed the world's first globally compliant multi-asset decentralized exchange. And why today's guest feels his emotional intelligence is such a powerful part of his personality. And how iPrivata is making it easy to own yourself in Web3. All this and more on today's episode. Enjoy! Welcome to The Edge of NFT with your hosts Jeff Kelly, Ethan Janney, and Josh Krieger. The podcast that brings you the top 1% of NFTs today and what will stand the test of time. We explore the nuts and bolts and the business side, and also the human element of how NFTs are changing the way we interact with the things we love. This podcast is for the dreamers, disruptors, and doers who are pumped about this ecosystem and driving where it goes next. Today's sponsored Spotlight episode is brought to you by Soma Finance and features its co-founder, John Patrick Mullen. Soma Finance is the world's first globally compliant multi-asset DEX issuance and lending platform. John is a fintech entrepreneur, investor, and educator living in Hong Kong. Besides Soma Finance, he is also co-founder of MantraDAO, a popular decentralized finance platform. Prior to this, he served as the managing director of Tritarian Capital, a FINRA regulated boutique investment bank focusing on providing financial services and capital raising solutions for startups and SMEs. John also has a traditional investment banking background, having worked at Gautai Hunan Securities in Shanghai, China. As an educator, he has spoken at leading universities across the world, including Harvard, London Business School, and Peking University. John, welcome to Edge of NFT. Thank you very much, guys. Glad to be here and good work on the pronunciations. <laughs> I know some of those Chinese ones are. I amazing. just went with it. Yeah. <laughs> hey, man, I you did a good job. I, thank you very much. I was impressed. <laughs> good work, Ethan. Yeah, we always try to trip them up, you know, throw, I throw a couple bogeys in there sometimes, see what happens. But, you know, you, pulled, <laughs> that was you pulled through. You did indeed. So, John, welcome, man. Yeah, look, dude, you guys have quite a deep bench over there, man. They're co-founders, team members, banking, crypto backgrounds, like super solid. Some of the deepest experience we see in the space. How did you bring this crew together? How did the concept come to life? Yeah, thanks so much. To be honest, it's been a work in progress for a long, long, long time. And it's been kind of iterated upon. And and finally, we've kind of, I don't want to say stumbled upon the creation of Soma Finance, but it really kind of was a, you know, a bit of, you know, things happening and then not working. And then finally, <laughs> finally, we got the, like, it just clicked and it, and it kind of all came together. Or at least it's all coming together. So a bit of a background. So basically we met the team or the, the kind of our other co-founders, Bill and Jim, in a prior kind of crypto exchange business that we were working on, I want to say like five, six years ago. I mean, it was, it was relatively early on. And around that time, we kind of had this idea to create a regulated multi-asset exchange platform that could, you know, basically trade a number of different types of asset classes, whether it was cryptos, you know, equity, stocks, commodities. Back then, you didn't really have NFTs, but in theory, you could have traded NFTs too, and a bunch of different other things. But again, this was all like in a centralized exchange model. And we basically went out and was like, okay, the Tritorian guys have this broker deal license. We have kind of like the crypto experience. So it's really this you know, nice combination of, of the two sides. There's a little bit of an age gap, but we all get along really, really well. So that, that works. <laughs> but that's good because they have the experience and you know we're a little bit more in the weeds with the crypto, crypto bros. <laughs> but anyway, so we went out and we were like, okay, let's go take this license that they have from FINRA and this broker deal license. And you know, let's go do exactly what we're saying we're going to do, utilizing this license to issue and distribute and do all this stuff with a securities license of this brokerage firm on a centralized exchange. And we went to FINRA, which is a self-regulatory body governing broker dealers. And they're like, meh do not do that. It's not the same. It's crypto. It's blockchain, like totally different. Stop, cease, desist, <laughs> this kind of thing. So a two and a half year process later, roughly, we finally got the go ahead to get this license. And we actually created a pretty new and special license together with FINRA essentially. And since then, we believe we're pretty much the only ones who have the full breadth and depth encompassing of what license that we have. And this means that we can essentially connect both institutional as well as retail market participants through the type of offerings that we can do, as well as doing it on any different chain. 
And that's extremely important because, you know, it means that you're not just doing these things which are effectively considered as securities in the United States, but just let's call them like tokens for the time being, you're issuing these tokens on a permissionless blockchain ledger. So it's on an Ethereum, it's on a Solana, it's on you know something like this, rather than being issued on a permission chain like a Hyperledger. You know, so you had the ability to connect both the retail and the institutional guys, and then you could do it on a chain that everyone was familiar with. So that really kind of allowed us to then say, hey, you know, we can do you know all these types of DeFi activities that people are already doing on Uniswap and, and Compound and and Aave and all these other places, but we can do it in a compliant environment and, and utilizing the existing kind of regulatory body and framework that we have to then be able to do this kind of, I don't want to say necessarily the right way, but a way that is perceived to be the right way by the regulator, at least. Right. Dude, such a big, that's a big hurdle too, just to, <laughs> to, to overcome, right? Took a like lot of time. Anybody uh, that's yeah. ever looked into that like world of FINRA and, and regulation and compliance, like it's no small, even for doing work like the traditional work, right? Like SEC regulated work or, you know, financial work, being a, a broker dealer, any of that stuff, like in the traditional sense, is hard enough. But then you introduce crypto sure. to it, forget about it. It's like through the roof it, difficult. It throws yeah. them in a whole nother loop. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, certainly, you know, creates a sustainable competitive advantage when you think about the possibility of like doing that versus like, you know, let's just change our model. Like that would have been like the path, I think, you know, 999,000 people would have taken versus <laughs> let's look at FINRA. That sounds like a fun time. <laughs> yeah. I mean, to be honest, there was a lot of education throughout that process on, you know, teaching them how this stuff works. And there still is, there's still handholding. That being said, you know, they really legitimately are looking for a way to say, hey, we're not the bad guy always. Like our job is, in, at least in their mind, and what their purview is, is to protect the US retail investor, whether that is, actually protecting them in some cases, maybe not. That's debatable, but that's their job, right? And they're just doing the best they can. They're bureaucrats at the end of the day, and they're trying to do the best they can. So it is a process. I mean, that's why it took so many years to finally get something, and it's still going to take some time. That being said, you know, we believe that you know through that process of working with them to kind of come together with, with this license, as well as educating them about the kind of the technology that we're building, you know, we've gotten them a lot more comfortable with what we're doing. So we don't foresee these huge hurdles you know, going forward. We actually see that you know, as, as the regulatory kind of bodies and framework begin working together a little bit more in the United States, we actually see a path towards, you know, ideally something that's a little bit more friendly. And, and at least in our mind, it's going to be friendly and, and conducive to actually protecting the retail investors, but still giving them access to the things that they want, which is sure. you know, the DeFi, the NFTs, like the yield farming, the cool things. Yeah, yeah. Sort of like having overprotective parents and, you know, letting them know, hey, I'm going to go to this party. It's going to be fun, but I'm going to be responsible and I'm going to get home at a reasonable time. That's a very good analogy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, and having like nine other siblings waiting in the wings saying, please, please do this for me. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, we honestly do think if this is done properly the way that we're doing it and, and brought to market and then scaled properly, you know, it can really, really be quite a unique and big thing. Well, it's pretty exciting, man. So we're talking about the first globally compliant multi-asset DEX and token issuance platform. That's a lot there. <laughs> what does that mean from the user perspective? Sure. Good question. So basically kind of the way that we're doing it is you have a user experience that's akin to a kind of a DeFi environment. So that means you're essentially logging on or you know connecting to our platform have both a web-based as well as a mobile platform via you know some sort of web3 decentralized wallet whether that's your metamask your ledger your coinbase wallet you know whatever will allow you to connect and then you connect to the platform so basically again you're holding your your assets in a non-custodial manner so we don't actually custody most of your assets and i say most because the one thing that we do have to custody is if you're bringing us the traditional real world assets so let's say that you're basically going to be trading some tokenized versions of tesla's shares on our platform you might be having a tokenized version of Tesla in your wallet, which would be called Tesla, but the actual backing of that asset, the real world asset, the paper security, we hold in custody. So for every S Tesla token that exists in our world, in our platform, you're going to have a real share of Tesla in the background. So what that means is that not only can you do all the fun things, have the composability of trading on an AMM, yield farming with it, swapping your Tesla for Google and then for Bitcoin and for whatever, but you also maintain ownership of the actual underlying asset if you have it in your wallet. 
right? So that means you get the actual dividends. That means you have the actual voting rights. You have all these different things that are good part about having it in the real world, but then you get the better, maybe not better, the be- the additional good part <laughs> about having kind of the functionalities that blockchain enable, let's go like that. So basically, again, you have this Web3 experience, but you have, you know, real world accountability, real world, you know, assets that are just being brought onto a kind of a Web3 environment. I guess the other thing that is important to note is that because we are doing this in a quote unquote compliant way, that does mean that we will also have to go through an AML, which is anti-money laundering and, and KYC process, just like as if you were, you know, signing up for your Coinbase exchange account. Honestly, a very similar process. But the way that we do it is that we create a kind of like a walled garden around our system or our products. And then everyone has to come through this kind of let's call it compliance choke point or bottleneck. And they have to basically say, okay, this is my wallet that I'm going to be interacting with the system with. And this is my kind of uh, personal information that you know I would use for any other you know exchange platform and whatnot. Actually, one thing we want to do is actually create an NFT of this identity so you can go use it in other places. But that's another thing we can get into later. But once you're in, you're kind of in. And then we can know, hey, John's from America. He's you know an accredited investor, a non-accredited investor. He can interact with all these different products. And he can interact with this one because maybe that's for non-US people only, right? And we can basically permission them at the very lowest level, which is the smart contract level, so that only the people who have been approved by us can actually you know, interact with the various products on-chain. Sounds pretty nice. like it. Thank you. <laughs> Elegant <laughs> solution. Yeah, I mean, just going back to that, you know, Josh's comments about tackling something that seems a little bit hairy, you know, stuff like that always reminds me of like a company like Stripe, right? I mean, no, people processing credit card charges, you know, for websites, it's relatively boring. There's a lot of regulatory stuff you got to go through and, and get through that. But if that's the domain you want to get into, there's just so much potential opportunity and it's kind of like just being the guy that can last the longest in the fight, kind of, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, to be honest, there's it's like you brought up Stripe, and I honestly think it's a good example. The reason I'm saying that is because really what we're trying to do in, a, in essence on a lot of this stuff is abstract all that compliance and kind of the plumbing away so that you're just interacting with this interface and it's going to be easier for you to use, but you don't actually have any clue what's happening in the background. And it's some complex shit <laughs> that's happening in the background, both on the compliance side, as well as on the technical side. So it's, it, is a, it is a pretty interesting uh, analogy you made there. So how does the uh, Soma token weave into all of this and, and what's the utility there? Sure. Great question. So I think the easiest kind of like maybe explain that you can have is, is the Soma token is an exchange token, right? So it's not too dissimilar from uh, FTT, which is the FTX token, or BNB, which was originally was the Binance exchange token, right? Or even Uniswap, um, although Uniswap doesn't really do anything at this point other than governance. But it's meant to be in a token that governs and, and kind of takes part in, and is supposed to have economic value accrual through the exchange or through the platform or through the various products, right? So that's the, that's the fundamental kind of core. But the kind of the tricky thing here for many of these things that I just named, these tokens that I just named, is that you're, you're treading that fine line between being a, a utility token and not being construed as a security. Because if you're being considered as a security, and in many, and this depends on your jurisdiction, of course, but let's just use the US for example, because honestly speaking, most things in the US are securities, <laughs> almost everything actually. <laughs> but anyway, most things are securities, right? And you want to be able to try to avoid being considered as that because you're trying to avoid all the compliance overhead or registration or all these other things that essentially are bread and butter, right? So we're just straight up saying, hey, at least in the United States, and irrespective of all these other places around the world, in the United States, we're issuing this as a security. I'm really trying to move away from the kind of the acronym of STO or security token, just because I think it has a little bit of a, you know, a bad memory from the 2018, 2019 days of being the next big thing that never turned out to be. And the reason why, in my opinion, was because there was no retail involvement. There was no real DeFi. There's none of this stuff that actually makes it kind of can makes it useful today. But anyway, so basically we're issuing it as security, which means we can have all the elements that would make it a security, meaning we can straight up pay dividends to our token holders. We can straight up do buybacks and burns. We can do all these different things that the SEC would be like, oh, you're a security. Or it's like, hey, we don't care. We're going to issue it as we're going to issue it. And we're going to do it compliantly, but we're going to do it in a way that, again, is retail friendly, that you know has one unified smart contract across all countries. So it's not like you're doing different token tranches for US versus the EU versus whatever. This is a pretty powerful thing. So again, you know, if you can have all these economic levers of value accrual, whether it's you know fee rebates or, or dividend payments or buybacks and burns and these types of things that really you know, are 
oftentimes avoided in many places. Like Uniswap just straight up will not turn on the fee switch because they know as soon as they do that for the Uni token, while it might make the token go to the moon, it also means they're immediately security in the United States and Uniswap's based in the United States, Uniswap Labs or whatever the name of their, their entity is. And they don't want to you know, get into that regulatory risk. So we're just like, hey, we can do it. We're going to call a spade a spade. And I believe, personally, if, if we're able to gain any semblance of traction across the number of very interesting products that we're going to be launching with, you know, in theory, the revenue and the kind of the potential for dividend payments on these tokens should be immense. That is not financial advice, but <laughs> got to... <laughs> immense is a relative <laughs> word, yes. So <laughs> just, just one follow-up there. It's maybe a more complex question that I want it to be, but what does that entail? Is it just that the SEC can watch you however they like? Do they check in at a regular clip and, and you have to kind of report quarterly? What does that tend to look like when you say, hey, this is a security, even though it's not like a stock or something? Yeah, sure. I mean, that's a good, really good question. I'll try to make it like relatively simple. I won't go too, too in depth because it can be pretty in depth, but basically you have to do a couple of different things and it, it is all about reporting and you know generally how you're offering the, the actual asset itself. So depending on how we're offering it. So essentially we're offering it to a bunch of different types of investors. US retail for one, we'd be doing under what's called the Reg CF, so regulation crowdfunding. And then the Reg CF exemption, we can sell securities up to $5 million to US retail investors. So we can sell 5 million bucks worth of SOMA tokens to the US retail guys in one tranche, I'll say. Then you combine that with a Reg D, which is for US credit investors, or Reg S, which is for international investors. And they all have various trading restrictions if you haven't registered it after, done a registration statement. So basically, like how it'll work is we'll fundraise, issue all these tokens, we'll then register the token itself. And actually, once you've gone over a certain amount of, of, of token holders, it's actually construed as a public security. And I don't know exactly off the top of my head, I believe it's like 2,000, 2,000 token holders, which 100% we're going to have over 2,000 token holders. So we're going to have to register it and we'll have to do some audits and different things and, and reporting requirements. But essentially, there's a, a kind of an interesting difference is like, there's, you know, people think that going public means you're going to go on NASDAQ. There's a difference between going quote unquote public and being listed. That is a very big difference, sure. right? It, we're, you know, we're not listing necessarily on NASDAQ, but we are going public. And, Seems to be like a major difference of liquidity potentially, right? With something. But if you have liquidity on some crypto exchange, maybe you don't have a huge difference with liquidity. Well, hopefully we won't at some point in time, <laughs> further down the line. But but it you know it is an interesting thing because obviously getting listed on Nasdaq, you know the requirements there are you know significant, 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 right? You know the big companies take years and years with all types of you know reporting and compliance requirements to get listed on something like a Nasdaq or an IC or whatever. In our case, you know it'll be a little bit less stringent, but that doesn't mean that we're not going to at least hold at least to ourselves to a similar standard. You know of, of the things that we're trying to you know achieve with the token and the projects that are going to be on you know on the exchange. Yeah, totally. Well, it sounds like you guys are that's for sure. Like really high standard here. We're, we want to go a little bit deeper into the roadmap here in a moment, but let me ask just from sure. a thirty thousand foot view, current market conditions. Like, what what are the high level problems that you're trying to solve, and what are some of those like thirty thousand foot solutions that we haven't touched on yet? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think it's really easy to just kind of break that down maybe by product. And I think when you talk about the issuance side of things, uh, that's the you know very good, easy place to start. So essentially, we just kind of touched on it a little bit with capital raising, right? So I think particularly for the U.S. market, you've never really been able to, as a U.S. retail investor, you know, legally access primary token issuances, right? Whether it's an ICO, STO, whatever, let's just call them token issuances. You've never been able to access them. I can't buy into token offerings. They either block US investors fully or they require you to be an accredited, which is not the majority of people. Dude, how many coin list like offerings like were like 100x freaking returns and we saw them, we knew they were amazing, but we couldn't touch them, you know? It's like crazy. Exactly. Oh, exactly. It, it is crazy, you know? And essentially what our licensing and what our platform will allow us to do is to just straight up say, hey, we can do this. We can do it properly. We can directly sell to U.S. retail investors, which we think is going to be a huge opportunity, particularly as you know some of the people and partners that we're working with, you know, they're creating these very interesting tokens, which are you know across all different elements of not just Web three, but just in, you know culture in general, whether it's in sports or music or entertainment or art or NFT projects or whatever it may be. You know, there's very interesting tokens that, that can be created with very very you know high quality IP, high quality brands, high quality people behind them that can then now sell directly to the US investors. But because again, what we talked about, we're selling them as, as you know, securities in the United States, 
there's these economic levers that you know can be switched on that you've never been able to do before. So let's just use a simple example of not not saying that this is happening tomorrow, but let's just use an, a, a sports team that wants to sell you know maybe one percent of its equity, right, or one percent of its future royalties or or revenue or whatever. You couldn't do that before, but now you can legitimately sell that to your fan base. And they can have a legitimate share in the ownership of their favorite sports team, right? And you don't think that's going to incentivize people to want to go to more games, want to buy more stuff at the stadium, buy more merch, and then tell all their friends about it. So they're doing the same thing. And it's going to be the kind of like this, you know, snowball effect of sorts. And we think that you can do that in any industry. So I think that's a very interesting, uh, both for the retail guys who can now invest in these things, but also for issuers who can now directly engage with a lot of their kind of retail fan base in the United States. So that's one kind of thing. On the DEX side, you know, again, now you have a compliant place to trade all these things, which I think is going to be interesting. And you can trade crypto assets, you can trade, you know, NFTs at some point in time, you can trade these kind of, you know, quote unquote securities, and then you can trade tokenized equities and all these different things all in one place. That we think is also a very, very cool thing because again, you know, most places don't have the ability to do that. I mean, some of the exchange platforms in the United States have tried to put tokenized equities on, on their platform. But they necessarily, but they haven't been able to do it, you know, properly, <laughs> um, or with the right licensing behind it. So that's that's one thing that we, we think is interesting. And then I think the third one, which is very very interesting, which is the retail kind of yield and lending product that that we're going to be launching is, and something that you've seen in recent you know weeks and months is many of the larger kind of retail focused lending and yield providers, whether it's you know a BlockFi, a Celsius, a Nexo, you know, a lot of them have come into regulatory trouble. They've either been getting you know huge fines, settlements or even just completely walking themselves back from even offering products like Coinbase, for example. Coinbase was going to launch Coinbase Earn. That was the 4% on USDC product. And then they got hit by the SEC with a cease and desist, and, and they didn't end up even launching the product. But again, because of the licensing that we legitimately have, we can do that. So we can issue retail-focused yield products to the you know, US retail customers who are not going to be able to, do, to access these products anymore on other platforms. And we think that's going to be very, very, very interesting as well. Very, very cool. Well, let's sort of frame this up for our listeners in terms of your roadmap for 2022 and where we are at this present moment in time. So complete liquidity round fundraising, is that completed or is that next on the list? So basically, yeah, maybe just even a step back. So we took, we, we raised a seed round, I think roughly end of last year, but we announced it in early this year, which was $6.5 million led by Enamoka Brands with participation from GSR, Kinetic Capital, Griffin Gaming Partners, and a bunch of others. And we're going to be finishing our, what's called liquidity round within this month. And that's another $15.8 million. And then we're going to move on to the, uh, to the retail offering, which we'll do through a, a combination of a reg CF and a reg S. Um, for the international tranche. So depending on how that's going to go, the offering could be sizable because we're actually going to probably do some sort of Dutch auction within the public sale. Very cool. And then what happens after that? Are we going to get into this DeFi yield farming sort of world that we were talking about? Yeah. So kind of the next steps is after we after we complete that process, we're going to start, I mean, basically going through the issuances of other projects as well. Whether that's you know you know a fan token or a sports token or a music token or an NFT project, we have a fairly sizable pipeline across you know a number of different verticals. I mean, obviously, once those have gone through those processes, they'll then be listed on our decks. They'll then be offered you know yield farming opportunities, staking pools, you know all this all this kind of fun stuff. All right, very cool. Yeah, life is definitely more fun with DeFi and yield farming, <laughs> at least in my humble opinion. So, what's after that? Good question. So, you know, once we once we do that, we'll obviously we're kind of working in two different veins, right? So we have both the technical and kind of product specific vein, which is you know launching the decks itself, launching other functionalities on it, limit orders, uh, options, futures, other different types of asset classes, commodities, et cetera, et cetera. But then you also have the compliance side as well, which will be working in tandem, and that's going to be offering and acquiring you know new opportunities to get new licensing essentially. So whether that's through money transfer licenses or MSBs or, you know, a bit license or other types of banking licensing, you know, this will all be working as well in the background. And one one thing that's kind of interesting is, you know, the money transfer licenses will allow us to then be able to, you know, facilitate the transfers between, you know, crypto assets such as Ethereum, Bitcoin, et cetera, into cash, you know, via a DEX. So in most cases that, that was that's not possible just because, you know, with a fiat integration, you would need some level of KYC. 
And obviously we have that. So, you know, you don't normally think of fiat getting onto a DEX, um, but we will be able to kind of facilitate those transactions. Um, that's done through money transfer licenses. Obviously, um, you know, so we're already kind of confident about being able to kind of cover the bulk of the United States very, very quickly. Very cool. And then when you're, you mentioned this com- first ever compliant token on the issuance platform, what's that all about? Well, so that'll be kind of what I was alluding to. Like, we're going to have all these different fan tokens, all these other things that are come through the platform. Soma obviously will be one of those tokens as well, but we're not really going to be launching the Soma token itself until we kind of want to wait for the whole suite of products. So that would mean we can already do the issuances as well right now, but we want to add the, the actual DEX itself as well as the lending product so that when we launch with the Soma token, there's going to be a lot of stuff you can do with it. So you're not kind of like waiting for all this to kind of come to light. So we're expecting this to be in the next, in the coming months, the full launch of everything, essentially. So John, I think we're going to need to get you back to LA. I know you were here for <laughs> NFT LA into the Upgrade Labs protocol I'm going through because you're going to need some serious data wave production and recovery efforts with this type <laughs> of ambitious roadmap. <laughs> I mean, I'm down. I'm happy to come back anytime. Nice. All right. We can be trading some theta waves on uh, DEX at some point, maybe. I don't know how that works. So what else do you have on the roadmap for the rest of 2022? We've got through you know, Q1 here. We're into Q2. Yeah. What can we look forward to? Sure. Yeah, so I alluded to a couple of the things, but I think kind of like the second part of the year that we're going to be looking at is obviously other chain integrations. So we're launching initially on Ethereum. To be completely frank, that's just the chain that the regulators are the most familiar and comfortable with. But that also means that we can then you know, move from that onto other EVM compatible options, such as you know Polygon, Avalanche, et cetera. Scale, we got to give the crew at scale a little bit of love too. I'm blockchain agnostic, even though we're building our own blockchain. <laughs> so that should, that should tell you something about how I feel about various layer one wars and whatnot. And I think that it's very interesting to uh, you know have a bunch of different kind of protocols, which all have their own you know unique use cases, unique edges, and things of this nature. So happy to uh, we'll look at scale as well. But yeah, so we'll be launching on a bunch of different EVM compatible chains. I just mentioned that we're building our own chain, which is a kind of an EVM as well as IBC compatible Cosmos Tendermint chain called Mantra Chain. So that'll be launching, I think, testnet this month, and then obviously mainnet a little bit later on. And that'll actually be one of the first you know, major integrations of chains to the Soma DEX and Soma Swap platform. Obviously, there's big reasons for that, not just because of, of the actual integration, but because of this other product, which we think is very cool, which is, um, which is actually the retail yield product that I was kind of alluding to. Essentially, how it works is you raise dollar capital, dollar-based capital, whether it's USDC or you know, some other stable coin, which then gets kind of put into various other yield opportunities, whether that's through a proof of stake kind of validator node opportunity, like maybe we go buy a bunch of Luna and stake Luna or buy a bunch of Sol, but then you're, you know, you're earning some yield on that. You're locked for a certain period of time, but then after that period of time, you actually get this, you, the token becomes essentially seasoned. So after a year, the token's been seasoned, but you've been earning yield the entire time, right? What that means is that now this token is freely tradable and potential kind of targets like a SPAC can come in and be like, hey, you know, I need to raise $10 million and you have a tranche of $50 million in this Luna pool. You know, do any of your investors who have just been earning, you know, 10% or 5%, whatever it is, want to then take, you know, a piece of this into like our seed round? Right. So you get a kind of like a warrant into this new deal. You can say yes or no. You don't have to. Or you can just get your yield and come out. But it's going to be a liquid trading token. So you can actually trade this token, you know, as a warrant for these kind of other token shares, essentially token shares. So that's going to be very cool. And that's also going to be all kind of tied in with MontraDAO, which is the other project I'm a co-founder of, because we have a validator business. We have a chain that will obviously support all this stuff. Um, so we can really kind of cross pollinate and, and tie in a lot of this stuff together, which would be pretty awesome. I kind of get the feeling you're like, clearly you need a big team to do all of this stuff. (laughs) We have a lot of stuff. You know about every single aspect and you're sharing about it in great detail. I think this is like what your dreams are like. You just go to sleep and it's just like, you've got all of this working on in your head. You've got the full full plan like rattling off constantly. It's pretty incredible. (laughs) Thank you. I mean, to be honest, I wish I remembered my dreams. I don't ever remember my dreams. But maybe that's a good thing because this is like my brain 24-7 when I'm awake, which is <laughs> often. So <laughs> maybe it's good that I'm not thinking about this stuff, at least overtly in my dreams, because uh, it's kind of 24-7 otherwise. <laughs> or maybe, John, this is a dream. 
entirely possible. I don't know. We got some trippy backgrounds going on. That's true. That's true. But look, man, I mean, yeah, all, all really cool stuff. Amazing stuff. Great roadmap. One of the things we'd like to ask our guests is, is where you draw your inspiration from. Like what's happening in the space these days in the world of Web3 that inspires you on the daily? Good question. I mean, there's so many kind of cool projects and cool things being built. And there's so many smart people coming into the space that it's like honestly hard to keep up. I think one thing that is just a good way to kind of just keep on the pulse, and this is maybe a good thing for business, maybe not a good thing for my mental health and time, but spending a lot of time on crypto Twitter, to be honest, and NFT Twitter. And you really just kind of see all this different cool stuff. And you know, even when there's like crazy things happening, and you know, like you know, we kind of were talking a little bit about the uh, the, the other deeds land mint earlier today. Like even when that was happening, like there's so many different ways that you can kind of see different perspectives, and it teaches you like, hey, maybe this is a good thing to consider when we're doing some sort of mint down the line. So I think spending time on Twitter that's maybe a little bit of a cop out. I don't know if that's inspiration, but just kind of like seeing what the lay of the land is there. But then honestly, I mean, it's I think from from an inspirational perspective, a lot of it's just. I'm going to help you because like you guys have, you know, been big fans of a lot of the social impact projects in the space. Right. And I think that's worth mentioning. And when we talk about everything that we talked about, NFTs are definitely part of your roadmap. It's definitely sort of fits the same sort of structures and frameworks that you're building. But I think you guys have taken sort of a liking to some of the social impact use cases for NFTs, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think there's so many very interesting use cases for both NFTs and tokens and things of this nature that that when done properly can really, you know, affect a lot of very cool change. And I think that's really kind of one at the core, like that's kind of the inspiration for a lot of the stuff is, is doing it the right way. And, you know, I don't want to say like, we're not trying to, we're not attempting to give the, the space a good name. That's like a little bit true altruistic and out there for, for what we're trying to do. Obviously, we're a for-profit business. We expect to make a lot of money and we expect you know, a lot of these things that, you know, to grow and to become into, you know, massive kind of movements. But if you can do good things along the way, and, and, and a lot of that's through supporting social justice causes, or even just like, you know, being part of some of these kind of up-and-coming, you know, artists or, or athletes or whoever that part of their story and kind of give them the opportunity to use web three to their advantage. And that's also a very cool thing. I think that's something that we're, you know, we think will be honestly some of the bread and butter, like the tokenizing a portion of a, of a sports team is not going to be a deal that's going to happen all the time in the beginning, but you might be able to create a bunch of different, very cool sports tokens or things for, you know, people who are, you know, trying to create a local basketball league, or, you know, they're trying to, you know, fundraise for, you know, some special event that they're trying to create, you know, in some, in some maybe um, lower income area, right? So, you know, th these things are all very cool. And I think will be a little bit more frequent than like these big kind of like marquee deals. And I think that's also very important for us to consider. That's about impact, right? In a lot of ways, right? It's Absolutely. Like not, not necessarily like the absolute number or dollar or whatever in some of these things, right? It's like, what is the, what's the intrinsic impact, right? It's really cool. For sure. And the thing is, you know, it's not completely altruistic. Like we may issue these tokens and help them do this thing and, and yeah. help them do it in a, in a compliant and right way. But at the same time, and maybe like, maybe our fees are almost even pro bono to a degree, but if we can get on, you know, maybe 5,000 people from this various community to then come and trade on our platform, because, you know, this is like a, a cause that they're getting behind. And then you do that tens of times, tens of hundreds of times over, you know, that's a, again, a snowball effect that we want to create in terms of bringing people onto our platform and becoming aware of what we're doing. Yeah, double bottle line. Exactly. 100%. Yeah, man. Look, some of the biggest, the biggest influences in the world tend to spin from and grow from for-profit ventures. And there's nothing wrong with that whatsoever, having a social mission in addition. Really cool stuff. And I do have to do like a throwback to like the early days, like a year ago in some of our early episodes, just when you talked about like kind of spending that time in in crypto Twitter and you know it's hard which is hard to do right because just time time is is hard but you could go down the rabbit hole and it's a fun rabbit hole to go down and I think probably the first person that really talked about just like spending so much time on there and highlighting some of the people he followed was this guy Roman Taroni from mm -hmm. Zed Run and he was he was one of the first folks that really talked about just doing that and going in there and just having fun following the jaw rules of the world or guys that you know like early on you, you might not have thought he had had good alpha, but he was on point in so many different yeah. ways. He still is, right? It's a fun thing to do. I wish we had more time of the day to spend in there and just be part of the, the community in its truest sense, you know? 
one of my favorite Twitter profiles is Del Kilmer. You know, the one and only Jeff and I met him at one point in the past and he's doing his own things in NFTs. He loves the community. He's like right there in it. Really fun guy. So yeah, if if you got an extra few minutes, check out Val Kilmer on Twitter. And speaking of Zed Rome, we got to give a shout out to Purple Elf, of course, our our horse. We still have Purple Elf, right? We didn't get rid of Purple Elf. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. She's yeah. still in the beloved, she's, 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 the most she's still beloved in the horse. She's in, in the Run. stable. It's a small stable. <laughs> I actually think there's a new horse racing game coming out. So maybe she'll maybe we'll integrate her in another stable for another horse racing game. Why not? <laughs> she's our girl. Go check her out. Give her some love. Give her some likes and Zed Run if you're uh, if you're listening. So we'll be appreciated. Anyway, brother. Well, look. We appreciate all this amazing info. Soma Finance, guys, check it out. This is a killer roadmap, killer team, well-positioned to go execute against this thing. We expect big things, man. I mean, you're already doing big things, but uh, we're going to keep a close eye. We appreciate you sharing with us. No pressure, but we're watching you, John. <laughs> I'm on the nice, white list. You I got on the white list for like, episode here. You get to give us as like the godparents. There you go. <laughs> hey there, NFT Space Cadet. Let's zoom in on the globe from outer space today to Abbott Kinney Boulevard in Venice Beach, LA. Let me show you a cosmic tech beacon that shines out among the bustle of fashion, art, and food there. It's a thriving software dev, data science, and design studio known as AE Studio, where scores of the sharpest minds have come together to help founders and execs create software and machine learning solutions that are not only profitable and increase our agency as humans, but that give us that warm, fuzzy feeling that elegant tech so wonderfully does. AE's breadth of talent allows them to build anything from instillvideo.com It's a health, fitness, and wellness app that makes your chakras tingle to award-winning brain-computer interface solutions that could quite literally bend our minds. Oh, and keep an eye out for Token Runners, their NFT white-label marketplace, as well as our highly anticipated NFT drop, Boomer NFT. Now, for all you DGENs who strive to shed the cummerbund and pearls comes a jaw-dropping, awe-inspiring partnership not seen since the heyday of Shaq and Kobe, It's called Edge of AE Studio, and you can find out all about it at edgeofae.com. That's right, this full-service, soup-to-nuts, end-to-end, whole enchilada NFT service can help you, yes, you, Randy, launch your NFT project. Edge of NFT and AE Studio have come together like Voltron to get your project in gear so you can hightail it straight to the moon, stardom, and maybe even your own private yacht. Go to edgeofae.com to find out more. That's edgeofae.com. Actual results may vary depending on moon landing location, domain of stardom, scale and model of yacht, as well as weather scale model of yacht or actual yacht. So look, man, let's take a moment though and shift gears. We'd like to get your personal perspective on some questions. We call them edge quick hitters. It's kind of a fun, quick way to get to know you a little bit better. They're short, you know, three to five word responses, but you know, We'll go a little deeper here or there. Sure. 10 questions. You ready to dive in? Ready to go. All right, let's do it. Question number one. What is the first thing you remember ever purchasing in your life? So I was thinking about this and I think it's probably like candy or ice cream or going to you know a store where I would have my own like allowance money to go actually buy something. Uh, isn't that the best? first time back in the day i mean i'm in i'm in my hometown right now so i think maybe that's why i'm a little bit more thinking about thinking like in this line of uh thinking yeah whatever you remember strawberry what do you what do you think i like chocolate yeah i like i remember those like push pops the like i still like gummy worms for whatever i like gummy (laughs) stuff but peach ones are also super good there you go (laughs) all right next one number two what is the first thing you remember ever selling in your life lemonade nice Lemonade stand, good old lemonade stand. And that was your own lemonade stand? Probably me and my sister, maybe one of my neighbors. All right. A joint venture, got it. Did you have joint any venture. kind of special sort of sales strategy? Were you doing bundling or sort of discounts in Oof. some way? To be honest, like I think my sister and my, if, if I was doing it with my sister and my neighbor, they were probably doing most of the selling and I was doing most of the drinking and then just running around being a menace because <laughs> <laughs> back then I was a little bit rambunctious. Nice. Well, it would have been on top of if you went to the local government and registered your lemonade stand as a business. I think that would have been appropriate for Shadow. <laughs> Maybe we can do a lemonade stand token <laughs> on Soma. There's something in there. There you go. Question number three. What is the most recent thing you purchased? 
recent thing, I think it's probably the, I mean, the flight that I took back to come to Cincinnati where I'm at, because I left on like Sunday morning. So I imagine it was that and I haven't really gone out and bought anything since. Nothing else. Okay, right on. That's a nice one. Question four. What is the most recent thing you sold? Almost certainly an NFT. Okay. Or some sort of crypto token. It was definitely either selling crypto or... So I actually think that John generally doesn't remember because I've been in that world where it's all kind of a little bit of a blur. Oh my God, yeah. I mean, just in terms of blur, like we're doing audits and stuff for our company at the moment. And we had to go back and do... Every, we had to look at every single crypto transaction that's ever occurred from like all of our company wallets, personal wallets and all this stuff. And I'm just like, I have no idea when I sent $5,000 to the company and then they sent me back like $2,500. I don't know what this stuff is for, right? So yeah. it, I've done thousands of these transactions in my life and I, I it's, it does blur. Yeah, man, it's a tough one. All right, question number five. What is your most prized possession? Yeah, I mean, I would say probably aside from like, family-related stuff, whether it's pictures or heirlooms or things like that, probably my watch collection. Now, is this date, how, how far back does this watch collection go? A couple of years. A couple of years, years, yeah. Back. Yeah, a couple of years back. I don't well, know. When I, I can actually, actually afford nice watches. Right. I have some um, friends that started getting into it. Like Maybe probably four or five years ago, they started getting in, tried to rope me into that world. I mean, I love watches. I love you know collecting things. I didn't pick up on it. Man, it seems like the market took off. It's gone crazy. Yeah. It's pulled back a little bit just in the last like month or so, but it's been right? pretty. To be honest, I see it as like a, a tangible hedge against my digital life mm. and assets. <laughs> I like it. Okay. Did you get one of those NFT watches that they're hawking? No. Oh, yeah, that's right. So I do have some projects that I do know some projects like shout out to this one 4K from Richard, Richard Lee. Yeah. He's got a project that's like NFT based luxury assets, whether that's watches or I think you can even buy cars. I mean, you can buy like crazy stuff. So I think there's a use for it, to be honest. I mean, I would love to be able to buy more watches with crypto yeah. rather than have to like constantly cash out and then buy with cash. <laughs> Dude, I love to buy um, more of everything with crypto. It's crazy, man. It's amen crazy. to that. Like, Jesus, so many, like, yeah. Dude, we've been like dealing with banks and all this stuff, man, and limits and, oh, know, yeah. oh dude, craziness. Painful, painful. Yes, but I uh, digress. Uh, we continue. <laughs> Question number six. If you could buy anything in the world, digital, physical, service, and experience that's currently for sale, what would it be? What do you got your eye on? It's a very, very, very tough question. I think one of the things that I've been looking to buy most recently is an apartment in New York City. So I'm normally based in Hong Kong. Our Soma Finance JV partners are based in the kind of the outskirts of New York. Not exactly New York City, but I've always wanted to live there. My sister lives there. And I'll definitely be spending more time there. So I think an apartment, if I could just buy it outright, would be dope. So I wouldn't necessarily always have to worry about renting it and have a mortgage and stuff. <laughs> yeah, man. Great one. Question number seven. If you could pass on one of your personality traits to the next generation, what would it be? I would say generally my kind of EQ for people, understanding of humans and people and just kind of feelings about people. That that would be, I think that's like, that's who I am. So you know, is through all elements of my life. So I think that's an important one. Super important. Absolutely agreed. Question number eight, flip side. If you could eliminate one of your personality traits from the next generation, what would that be? <laughs> so if it was for up to me, I would say probably, you know, I'm, I'm an Aries. I'm born in April. We are known to be able to have, have a little bit of a temper from time to time. I would say I'm 99% of the time even keeled, but I can light up pretty quick. <laughs> If I'm not pleased. So maybe get rid of the, some of the temper. If it was my wife answering, she'd probably say the working all the time. Ah, yes, that one. Actually, a lot of that. people would probably say that, not just my wife. Yeah, okay. <laughs> a lot of people would say that. A lot of people would say that. I think we got the real answer then. Yeah. Question number nine. What did you do just before joining us on the podcast? I went shopping for some ingredients for dinner with my parents, and then we voted in the Ohio primary election. What was the most interesting ingredient that you purchased? To be honest, I was working when they were shopping. So <laughs> I was like on my phone the whole time. Hence, the real answer to question number eight. Yeah. And, <laughs> and the no, master delegator, the parents will always do whatever you need in a pinch. Sure. That being said, the flip side of that question is the place we went was very interesting. So we went to this place called Jungle Gyms in, in Ohio, Cincinnati, Ohio. And they like, they have everything from all over the world. So they have like all the kind of crazy international food. You get samples of everything. So I think maybe that's why I was a little distracted. 
the samples and the uh so were you just work. like walking around on your cell phone like doing business and eating samples is that exactly am i, I mean no, that I, was, perfectly? I, wasn't, I wasn't on the phone i was just texting oh you're texting texting and, yeah, texting like and sampling and actually looking <laughs> at looking that. at the questions for for this chat hey all right <laughs> All right, brother. Well, we're at the end. Question number 10. Last one. What are you going to do next after the podcast? Going to have dinner, I think, put on some of the basketball games. And I have a couple more calls. So there's basketball and there's, and there's hockey. I'm a huge sports fan. So NBA playoffs and NHL playoffs are starting. And uh, I have a couple more calls. And then go to bed because I have a 7 o'clock flight tomorrow back to New York City. Busy guy. Busy guy. Well, hey, that's Edge Quick Hitters, man. We appreciate you sharing with us. As always, good time. Good time for sure. Word on the street is that we have an interesting hot topic. So like on the subject of the KYC and AML, there's some really interesting stuff here. Ethan, let me pass it over to you, man. For sure. Athletes, artists, musicians, famous people can declare I own me in reference to their digital identity in a legal and technical construct called a declaration certificate in an iPrivata community of trust. Link this DS cert with any new digital asset and be able to prove the non-fungible asset is theirs. Uses this approach to prove I am me and I own me and my assets in a court of law by using a disciplined chain of custody approach, which timestamps all assets in the community of trust distributed digital identity management system. Link this root proof of trust to any NFT on any platform and any currency to substantiate the long-term value of the asset. And lucky for us, we have Scott Yeager, Chief Strategy Officer of iPrivata, here with us today to discuss this hottest of topics. Welcome. Thanks. I appreciate y'all having me. Yeah, and we pronounce it iPrivata, like IP. IPrivata. Private IP. Got it. It's my IP. Got it. Love the play there, man. Yeah. So Scott, like we had a chance to connect out at uh, NFTLA and we were talking about this and, and the need to have such a system in place. A lot of people have been dancing around it, trying to figure this out and, and get something propped up. Tell us about your system, man, and why this is going to be the solution here. Well, we filed for and have a patent on the idea that people ought to own their digital identity. And we combine that with a legal construct with some contracts that we have and a private network infrastructure that lets anybody declare they own their digital identity and use that patent to help shore that up legally. So that rather than relying on GDPR or CCPA kind of laws, which are really just rights, they don't really give you the the ability to declare you own yourself and take it into a court of law. So we've taken that position that people ought to be able to declare they own themselves. And we're starting with athletes and with famous people, musicians, whoever, who already have something that's of value. Because a lot of people's digital identity may or may not be deemed valuable right now, but athletes definitely, and people who are have a digital identity that can be monetized is a good starting point, is what we think. My mom thinks I have digital value, so you know that counts for something, right? Yeah, it does. And, and actually, you guys do have digital value. So more more so than others, right? Anybody that has their own YouTube channel could argue that as well. And they should be able to monetize it. And they should also be able to fight in a court of law if somebody steals it. To be honest, even though I'm sitting here and I could see I'm in tangible form, we're all just having our digital identities communicate with each other at this point, right? Because we're on a Zoom call. <laughs> That's true. Yes. And isn't it interesting too, though, in a, in a world where like on one side, privacy, right. And being able to maintain that, you know, matters a lot. There's another side of it where because of the construct of the system, you also, you, you need something like this to say, no, 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 actually, this is me here. I own this. I own me. I own this thing that is otherwise completely private. You, you can't really prove it otherwise. Yeah. We have like some athletes like Lynette Woodard is going to be coming out this later this week. She's a women's NBA uh, Hall of Famer, and she was the first woman to play on the uh, Harlem Globetrotters. So she's an example of somebody. She can tell you multiple NFTs that are out there where she's in them. She's not getting a penny. So from her perspective, those NFTs aren't valid because they didn't have the root proof of trust that she would say, well, that's mine. That's my digital identity. I should have a percentage of that deal. And so, you know, that we think that, that people have to start with the beginning, which is I own me 
and I'm willing to protect my digital identity in a uniform manner. Scott, how many lawyers did you guys have to consult with and are on your team to figure all this out? Well, we have a lot, but Morgan Lewis, I happen to have a legal regulatory background because I was involved in the commercialization of the internet in the early 90s and we built fiber networks. I got a franchise in the city of Houston to build a fiber network to compete with the phone company. Back then you had to fight legal regulatory battles. So I went to Andy Lippman, who was our chief regulatory guy and said, hey, Andy, if we come up with a bunch of new rules, can anybody stop us later? And it's like, no, not as long as it's a private networks and we have you know, we established that people own and control ourselves in, and we don't break the laws, obviously. You have to follow the laws. So, so we have a, a fair number of attorneys, both the, for the intellectual property and for what we would call our, our contracts, which are the legal construct that comes with the deal. So I see John here. He's probably thinking maybe we made a partnership or I don't know, because they, they got to do, do a lot of sort of KYC and stuff like this and deal with digital identity. What are you thinking about this uh, project, John? Yeah, I mean, sounds super interesting. Would love to kind of hear how you guys do the pro. Like, what is the process that the athlete has to go through to kind of? Let's just use an athlete for example. But what's the process that they go through to then kind of own themselves? Like maybe on a operational as well as kind of a technical. Actually, I was listening to everything you're saying. Like, we would love to talk to you because we're our attitude is that we need to work with other players in the industry. And we have the notion of a community trust service provider kind of suite of contracts that enables a company like yours to leverage everything that we bring to the table with your customer base. But we would want to incorporate your capabilities into what we might offer to our athletes. So we have kind of like a, the notion of a distributed digital identity management system because mm. my digital identity is the sum of me out there. And part of me might maybe my wallet, part of me might be my Coinbase, whatever. But part of me might be my medical history or my search history. So over time, we might do those kinds of things, but we're starting with clean things initially. So what happens is an athlete would say, okay, I'm going to declare, they sign an agreement with our, our entity, and then they say, I, I need to start tomorrow. So they'll put their driver's license, passport, birth certificate into our system, and they will, and everything is time-stamped. And that's a big deal because when the attorneys from the other side say, well, how do we know you really did that? You want to have everything in what's called a chain of custody that you could take in a court. And then once all that's done, then you sign the digital document called a declaration certificate. And that that is more or less your declaration that you own yourself. And you, we use UN and all kinds of global laws are referenced in that. But are kind of like, you know, like people own themselves in the physical world. They ought to own themselves in the digital world. And so sure. we, you declare that, you bond it to your aspects of your digital identity. And then that is the final version of a deck cert. And then after that, you can just put that into any, you know, hash you want and then bond it to any other digital asset you might want. And, and so, you know, an additional layer might be some of the stuff you guys are doing and sure. you would combine that and say, look, okay, I've already declared over here, but everything I do over here, I want to bond it to that too. That sounds super interesting. Yeah. I mean, I think the connection, like you were mentioning, Ethan, with the KYC part, because you know, we will have a, you know, verifiably true identity as well. So you can kind of combine that with this I own me piece. And, and you know that, you know, whether it's this wallet or whatever, that token is legitimately theirs. And it's, you know, maybe, you know, that it hasn't been hacked from, you know, maybe that, that WNBA player, and then they're trying to go take advantage of that. And we're in our case, we know that it's actually a wallet controlled by this person. And then you have the verifiable, you know, ID behind it and all this stuff. So that, I, I'd be happy to let's talk offline. Absolutely. There you go. Making deals. Yeah, yeah. We love that type of pairing live on the show. It's a lot of fun. So if I want to own Ethan, or if I want Ethan to own himself, where 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 does he go? What's what's next for him, Scott? Let's help the first thing that they do when you when anybody comes to them asking to own another person is say, no, thank you. (laughs) I think we would say that's against the law. (laughs) <laughs> but if I wanted to try to own Ethan and then, you know, your KYC caught me, what would I actually be doing there? So what would really happen is the part of doing athletes and other like musicians first is the workflow process that we've developed is still in the de facto standard setting mode, which means that, you know, 
For instance, would you first enter your passport and then bond it to the deck cert or whatever? Once you go through that process and then create what we call an e-bonder where someone's able to use that digitally in other places, then we we are really just working with those athletes initially. We're not really today trying to sign up consumer-facing people yet because we want an athlete to maybe draw in their fans later. And those would be the first time that we'd actually start having the public be involved in this. Very cool. So, so I don't know if I answered your question. Yeah, no, totally. I think we just have to track you on socials to uh, keep in touch with what you're up to. Oh, definitely. And, and like I say, you know, you're going to be hearing about us through the athlete channels, really, in the because you know, we we have several athletes that think that they need to, they would like to have their own campaign, like I own me, and and let people know that they own their digital identity. Very cool. Yeah. And specifically, yeah, specifically, we'll get some some social links and a website, make sure you get that from you. Uh, I want to encourage listeners, you touched upon something very briefly, go check out another episode we did where we talked with Brittany Kaiser. And you, you sort of vaguely referenced this idea of how much of us is digitally out there all the way from our medical records, right, to our photos, and they're on these social media websites and this and that. She's got some very interesting projects. We'll be spending some time with her at Davos coming up here soon. She's, she's hosting the crypto house there, just trying to help people manage like what they own, own your data, right? And some data you actually want to share, right? There's some stuff that you want to be out there. You want to be open. You want to be open in a way that, you know, creates value for other people without, you know, hurting, hurting you. And, and then having awareness around those things that, you know, you don't want to share <laughs> and knowing that you have a choice and how to execute that. So that's a very interesting conversation we had on a previous episode. Listeners may enjoy that, but Scott, just before we run, yeah, let's send people to exactly where they need to go to find out more about you. Uh, our website is iprivita.com. And, uh, you know, we're very cybersecurity focused too. We kind of glossed over that, but we think that you need to have minimum cybersecurity standards in our legal framework and minimum privacy standards. And so as a result, we're not so social network aware. Now, Fox Ellis, our sister company that is part of uh, Privita, is where all of that is happening. But as far as iPrivita is concerned, it, our website is iprivita.com. It's I-P-R-I-V-A-T-A.com. All right, we'll go check it out. I Privita own your identity. Scott, thanks so much for joining us, man. We really appreciate it. Best of luck to you, man. And we'll stay in close touch, okay? Thanks a lot. We'll see you. All right, brother. Bye. Take care. Very cool. Man, I Privita, yeah, really exciting stuff, guys. So real quick, we normally take a moment to do a little fan and, and listener shout out at this moment. But I think we want to do a little shout out to a colleague of ours who we collaborated with actually on one of our projects that you'll learn about here very soon. A little app that we built, uh, maybe not so little, but uh, it's, uh, it's pretty fun. And we did it in part in collaboration with uh, her class over at Pepperdine University. She used to actually uh, be the director of blockchain at Pepperdine University, right up until just about, oh, uh, I think no. it was. Oh, she got fired. Just not at all. Just <laughs> up until last week, I think, Lene Martin, amazing person, amazing leader, amazing educator. And if you head over to coinbase.com and you look at who's heading up Crypto University over there. Oh, uh, on you're the going to okay. yeah, You're going to find her name in there. That's an amazing role she's taking on over at Coinbase, heading that entire process up over there. Massive, massive moves happening and not a better person you can imagine in the world to have in that position and to, to help Coinbase uh, take their education, at least starting internally. But uh, we know where that'll head uh, to the next level. So congrats to name Martin. Martin. Yeah. yeah. Big ups. Big ups. So little little shout out for today. So yeah, man, John, amazing episode, man. We appreciate you joining us here. We want to make sure that all of our listeners know how to jump on the, the Soma Finance train if they're not there already. Mm -hmm. So where can they go to follow you and all your happenings? Yeah, good question. First off, thanks for having me, guys. It was a, it was a pleasure. Yeah. Looking forward to uh, continuing to follow up down the line as we launch more stuff. And I know we'll, uh, we'll be seeing each other physically, not just digitally in a few more places around the world in the not too distant future. So looking forward to that. Sure. So I guess the, the best places to get in touch with us are, are our Twitter. So Soma Finance Twitter. The other one would be obviously Telegram at the moment. So, so just look up Soma Finance. You can actually just ping me directly if you have any questions at JP Mullen. 
on Telegram. That's a pretty, pretty easy one. Or a website, Shoma.finance. So yeah, hit us up on any of those. Uh, we're going to be launching a new website pretty soon. So you get the first version of it now if you go. And once you're on the website, make sure to sign up for our uh, wait list. Um, I think we have over 500,000 people signed up for it so far. Holy cow. Which is a lot. And hopefully that'll be even more soon. <laughs> so yeah, it's uh, actually, I think one of the next things you're going to be asking, we maybe can talk about a little bit how to get some people on the wait list. Yeah, let's go. Let's jump right into it, man. So we got, uh, yeah, we got, well, we got a little giveaway that we're going to be doing here. We'll have more details here real soon. But yeah, do you want to share a little bit, John, about what you had in mind there? Some of the triggers to uh, to get people in the mix? Well, I think we can do a couple things. So maybe what we can do is give up a couple whitelist spots. So like almost like a guaranteed whitelist spot to participants. I'd say guarantee with an asterisk because they will have to pass KYC. But outside of the KYC part, we can definitely um, you know put some some people up into that list, which would be awesome. Yeah. And then we'll think of something a little, on a little bit more fun level as well. Cool. You know whether some NFTs or something. I need to talk to our marketing team. We'll get something going on on, on that as well. Give something away. But definitely we'll get some whitelist spots going on. I, need, I hopefully you were talking about the the, the record is a hundred thousand dollars, but hopefully our whitelist spots will be worth more than that at some point in time. So let's see. Awesome, man. Yeah, pretty pretty <laughs> popular spots. That's for sure. Yeah, well, we appreciate it. So folks, follow closely on our socials. You'll see the details come out there. Keep a close eye invaluable whitelist spot for sure. And then some other goodies. So, so please keep a close eye. All right. Well, I think we've reached the outer limit at the edge of NFTs for today. So thanks for exploring with us. We've got space for more adventurers on this starship. So invite your friends and recruit some cool strangers that will make this journey all so much better. How? Go to Spotify or iTunes right now, rate us and say something awesome. Then go to edgeofnft.com to dive further down the rabbit hole. Lastly, be sure to tune in next time for more great NFT content. Thanks again for sharing this time with us today. This episode was brought to you by today's guest and sponsor. The creators of Edge of NFT will be compensated to support the production costs associated with the program. We are very selective when deciding who to have on these shows, but we are learning as we go just like you. The views expressed are for educational, informational, and entertainment purposes only, and are not intended to serve as an endorsement or investment advice. You are urged to do your own research as well as consult a reputable financial advisor before making any investment or purchase decision.